Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open and honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Linda Robson. Linda's an actress and TV presenter and is best known for playing Tracy Stubbs in the much-loved sitcom Birds of a Feather. She also appeared in The Bill, Crossroads and Casualty. Since 2012, Linda's been a regular panellist on ITV's Loose Women. Linda's lived in North London all her life and has been married to her husband Mark for more than 30 years. She has three children and two grandchildren. Linda Robson, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Oh, it's nice to be here. How are you? I'm good, I'm really good. Yeah, looking forward to having a little chat and talking about my mum, Rita, who we know as Reet. So when she died, we had Reet Petit played at her funeral because she was the finest girl you'd ever meet. How lovely. Tell me about Rita. Tell me what kind of woman she was. Well, Rita was one of 13 children. She was born in Dublin in 1936 and she lived in Dublin until my uncle Noel got polio and was um, taken away from the house one day and taken to a hospital in the country and was kept there for two years. And then my nan started bringing my uncle Noel over to England to Bart's Hospital because there was a treatment for polio. And my mum came over to visit him and then met my dad and never went back. So if it wasn't for her coming over to visit my uncle now, I probably wouldn't be here. So working-wise, she'd always worked. Um, we were quite young, obviously, at the time. And um, she did a home help. And that is when you go into people's homes, like elderly people's homes, and you do some cleaning for them, you do some shopping for them. The love of her life, apart from her three daughters, was bingo. She absolutely loved her bingo. So she'd go sometimes in the afternoons if she wasn't working but definitely two or three times a week. And I think the, one of the highlights of her life was winning £10,000 at bingo and coming home and just throwing the £10,000 in the air. And um, she took us all away to the caravan for a week with the money that she'd won and that. She was like very, very family orientated, loved her family, her brothers and her sisters, and loved Dublin. And I remember um, her taking us all there, like as young children, to show us where she lived and when you think there was 13 children and my nan and granddad and there was only two bedrooms in the house so there was eight boys in one room and five girls in another and then my nan and granddad had a pulled down bed and they managed yeah they managed they really managed but there'd be one meal cooked tonight and if you didn't eat that meal not like our kids now when you have to do two or three meals I've got two vegans so I have to do vegan options all the time and if you didn't eat that you'd have bread and butter and jam that'd fill you up and I think growing up because she always because they always filled up on bread. We always have bread with our dinner as well now. And I think that's because my mum, we always had loads of bread, like when we were growing up. Looking back, she didn't really have a lot of friends. She had like a bingo friends, Beryl, Little Lil, Carol. There was three or four of her sort of mates that she'd go to bingo with. But her whole life was me and my two sisters, really. 
So like if she was, she never went for lunch with her friends or anything. So she'd only like, we'd take her out for lunch. We'd do her shopping with us. And she was just a really good mum. She was like the matriarch of our family and we all like adored her. She also, because I worked from such a young age, she brought my children up. So my oldest daughter, Lauren, I was doing Birds of a Feather at the time and she looked after my kids and she didn't want paying for it. And I said, no, I'm going to pay you. I'm earning really good money and it'll give you your bingo money and you'll be able to go and get shopping and treat yourself to a few things. And uh, she did a really good job with my children. So she'd look after them, especially if I was away on location, I'd come back and she'd say, after about a week, you've ruined them kids because they had rules with my mum and they stuck to the rules. Whereas I was, I'd feel guilty because I'd been away filming. So I'd let them probably get away with more or spoil them a bit more. But my kids absolutely adored her. And actually, if her focus and passion was family and our own daughters, then what yeah. a lovely thing for her then to do to look after yeah. your children and have that well, to be a key that focus. Your kids would be and looked after so well because she absolutely loved her grandchildren. So I think she had eight grandchildren uh, before she died. Now she's got loads of great grandchildren as well. But she did get to meet my granddaughter, Lila, so my daughter's daughter, um, and she was actually in the hospice. Marie Curie Hospice in Lindhurst Gardens and we took Lila down to meet my mum she kept saying oh he's a lovely boy he's very handsome isn't he we go mum it's a girl oh sunny boy look at that lovely little boy but um, when we used to arrive at the hospice she'd just for that second she'd have a big smile on her face because she recognised us and then the recognition would be gone but I think the first time we realised that something was wrong was when her partner at the time, Johnny, my stepdad, who we loved as much as we loved our dad as well. He was really lovely. He loved all of us. Um, we nursed him at the end when he was dying as well. But yeah, so we started noticing after he died, we thought she's just depressed and that. And she's like grieving Johnny because he wasn't there anymore. And then gradually we started noticing that things weren't right. Like we'd take her out shopping and she'd go missing and then, but luckily, where we live in Islington, our chapel market, where it's our local market, everyone knew her down there. So we'd say to Tony on the fruit stall, Have you seen my mum? Yeah, I just saw her going into Iceland. So they'd sort of keep an eye on her again because they started noticing that she'd go missing. We also got her a mobile phone, but she never quite got the hang of how to answer it. So the phone would ring in her pocket. <laughs> she wouldn't know how to answer the phone. When she started deteriorating more, one of us would stay with her every night. So between me and my two sisters and my nieces and nephews, there was always someone there with her looking after her. And she'd also forget, so if we'd take her out shopping, she'd shop as if we still all lived at home. So she'd still be getting this big shop, like getting ready for our, her Sunday dinner and that, because we always went to her house. And it was quite a small house, but we managed to all squeeze in every weekend. And she'd buy, you know, if my nephews liked chocolate eclairs or they liked fruitcake or whatever, she'd make sure that she had everything in for them and spoil them all. But um, she was quite fussy as well. Um, she was immaculate in her house and immaculate in her appearance. She'd never leave the house unless her hair was done and her makeup was done and she always looked really, really smart and she could never understand. She used to say, I don't know where I got you from because I was never like that. I'd never have my makeup on and my hair done. I'd take the kids to school. I'd be in my nightdress and just put a coat on over it and she'd go, <laughs> oh, Jesus, I don't know where I got her from. Look at her. <laughs> um, she used to say, get yourself sorted before you leave the house. You never know who you're going to bump into. But... Um, yeah, she loved us girls more than anything. She really, really did. And when she died, we found a letter in her drawer that she left just saying how much she loved us. I don't because I'm going to start crying. But just saying how much she loved us and how she hoped we'd always stick together 
and we'd always be there for each other and we obviously are there for each other um, so I've got two sisters I'm the oldest and then my sister Tina and my youngest sister Debbie so um, and we also had a cousin Jackie we've still got a cousin Jackie who was like a daughter to her as well so there was me Tina and Debbie and Jackie used to be at the hospice all the time and we had a 70th birthday in Linda's gardens um, and we made a big fuss and balloons and like, all the nieces and all her grandchildren and everyone came to the hospice and we had a big party for her but I remember her looking at herself one day and going Jesus look at me I don't look like that do I you know like she was sort of shocked at her appearance because she'd got really really thin and that and like someone used to come to the hospice and they'd fix her hair. So someone would come and do her hair for her. And I remember when the pearly kings and queens came one day and they started singing. And we never heard her, but she all of a sudden she started singing along with one of the songs. Because that is one of the signs, isn't it, that a lot of people with dementia or Alzheimer's, they can remember songs. Some and that, so she started singing along with those. So we all got really emotional. Um, her favourite song was Sally. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but Sally, Sally, yeah, yeah. pride of our alley. Um, that used to be a party piece. And she just started singing that as well one day. But she was just like a really, really good mum. And like nothing was too much for her. And as I say, she brought my kids up. And I could never have worked if she didn't do that. But she was... When was it your mum died, Linda? She died 10 years ago this year. Okay. So we are having a tea party. We had one a few years ago as well, where um, we have like a tombola and we do bingo calling because that's what she loved. So we okay. get someone to call bingo and then you can win prizes and all the money goes to Marie Curie. I think they've booked it for September. My sister's really organised, Tina. So she's already... We're going back to the same venue that we did it a couple of years ago in. And we had a lot of the nurses there. There was quite a few nurses that we loved. And I love that so you can take the opportunity to kind of fundraise, but actually at the same time, it's about doing the things that your mum enjoyed yeah, and it's yeah. about remembering her and having an opportunity to think about her and yeah. playing bingo. But we've never been like morbid about it all, you know, like because she had the best life and she, you know, for her 60th birthday, like Catholic growing up in Ireland, I took her to Rome for her 60th birthday and we went to St Mark's Square and the Pope came out and did like he does it every Sunday he come out and like does a prayer and whatever and I just remember getting really emotional and crying and saying as a young girl growing up in Dublin I never thought I'd get to be wow. here and see the Pope and uh, I just remember her getting so she she never drank tea or coffee she only ever drank Diet Coke which was strange to us you know like someone that don't have a cup of tea in the morning but um, wherever we went, she'd managed... I remember we took her to Disney and she went, they've only got Pepsi here. I wouldn't drink Pepsi. And so we'd have to go and find her Coke and that. But um, So she got all these empty Coke bottles and filled them up with holy water from the walls of the Vatican. There's all holy water and you just go and fill up the... And I remember getting to the airport and her case was so so heavy. <laughs> Wait, I said, Mum, you're going to have to take some of them out. It was like 200 quid or something they wanted on top for it. And we sent all her family in Dublin... A postcard because the Vatican has got their own post office there and it's all like marked with Vatican things and everything. So that was like a real big thing for really her. Really special. But I used to, we used to take her everywhere on holiday with us as well. And she was really proud of the three of us, like me and my two sisters. And she had a habit of saying, of course, you know who my daughter is, don't you, Linda Robson, you know, off the telly. She'd say that to everybody. But she'd say the same about my sisters as well. You know, like she was really proud of, of the three of us. You said there that you as a family kind of had never been morbid. Can I ask about your experience of grief after your mother died and what that was like for you? 
and what helped you? Well, the first person that really died in my life was my dad. And he died at age 57 from lung cancer. And that was a shock because he was diagnosed one week and died a week later. And he was at my house at the time. And um, he got rushed into hospital. And my dad died in pain um, because they couldn't... All his veins packed up and they were talking about amputating his leg. But he died in pain. But my mum, with my mum, where she'd been ill for so long, it was just like watching her deteriorate every day. But I have to say she had the best care um, that anyone could ask. Like we'd get to the hospice and one of the nurses would be playing cards with her because she loved playing cards and she loved gambling. It'd only be 10p a game or whatever. But um, we were always playing cards in her house and they'd be sitting there playing cards with her so they always had time. So they weren't just left, there was always someone there. And not only did they look after my mum but they looked after me and my sisters as well. One of the things we hear from people who listen to the podcast is that they find it really helpful hearing other people's stories about the death of the person, you know, the the death of their loved one, but also about what things helped them after the death. So when they were grieving, and I just kind of wonder whether you could talk a little bit about that. You know, what was was it like when your mum wasn't around anymore? It was really, really hard for all of us because she'd been such a big part of our life. And um, I think what helped us was, like, memories, really. So... From when she died, and we used to go to the cemetery every Sunday, Finchley Cemetery, and we'd bring all our kids with us as well. But we always made it a really nice day out. So especially when it was sunny, like in the summer when we went over, we'd bring picnics over and we'd just also we'd bring some blankets and sit on the floor. We also had a bench with her name on it over there so we could sit on the bench. And that we've actually just changed the bench, so she's got a nice new bench now. Because my dad's buried next to her. And my dad's tombstone is slightly bigger, so we said our mum would be fuming with that because <laughs> that he's got a bigger tombstone than she has. But uh, so yeah, we just all go over. So we've she's got, got a bench as well. She, yeah, she's yeah, got a bench. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, but the, her, his tombstone is slightly bigger. Can't so I don't know. How, I don't know how we we did that, but we did. And she even arranged her own funeral because I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but in the Irish culture, it's like you've got to have a big send off. You know, like so the more cars and the more mourners that turn up the better and the more you were thought of as well. Because I remember as a young child, my aunt going, you know, they had 18 cars for that funeral. Oh, she must have been well liked then. So my mum organised the funeral. She even like paid into an insurance policy because that's what they did in those days so that there'd be enough money to cover their funeral because they wanted this nice send-off. So she had a horse and carriage that took her from her house to our local church, Our Lady and St Joseph's in Ballspond Road. And then from there, like, but so many people turned up as well, obviously all her family. But when she was in The Undertakers, they had like a wake where you all sit around the coffin. And like my sisters went in and saw her and I decided I didn't want to see her because I was there with her when she died. And what really upset me was that her mouth was open, like she died and her mouth was open. And I remember the nurses trying to close her mouth so that she looked more peaceful. They were lovely. They were so lovely. And not long after she died, like all my nieces and nephews were there and we all sat around the bed and I remember them all in McDonald's. So they all sat around. And my mum loved McDonald's as well. She really, really liked her burger and she loved the milkshakes in there, strawberry milkshakes, you know. And we just all sat around and obviously we were all crying. But the one thing that I remember is, which I think is really important, is that my mum died pain-free. And um, and we were all there with her in the room. Me, my two sisters, my cousin Jackie were just all sitting around her. And we stayed there that night. And then I remember one of the nurses 
tapping me on the shoulder the next morning and saying she's gone and I was like half asleep and I went gone where and they went she's gone Linda and then like we all started sobbing obviously uh, but I think you sort of prepare yourself then because you'd been in there for so long and just let me tell you this story so our last ever outing was when I was doing Birds of a Feather on tour with Leslie and Pauline and uh, it was at the Cliffs Pavilion in South End and so my sisters and my kids all brought her down to the Cliffs Pavilions to see Birds of a Feather. And she was sitting in the audience. And my youngest daughter, Bobby, was sitting next to her. And she went, Mum, you'll never guess what Nanny's done. I said, what's she done? She went, she started undressing during the show. So <laughs> she took off her jumper and put it on the seat in front of her. Then she took off her boots and put them on the floor. Then she took off her socks and put them on the man's shoulders in front of her. <laughs> My daughter was absolutely traumatised. <laughs> she was going, it was so embarrassing. Everyone was looking. Nanny was stripping off. I said, oh, don't. It's fine, Bob's. Honestly, people understand and that. And then we took her to an Italian restaurant. And it was actually my birthday as well. Yeah, so there was Pauline and Leslie and me, my, my two sisters, their kids, my kids and that. And we all went to an Italian restaurant. And then the next day she went into Marie Curie or maybe the day after, it might have been two days after. She went into Marie Curie and uh, for a week respite because she wasn't eating at home and we were worried about her. And they came down to see her like a social worker or whoever it is and said, I think she needs to go into a hospice. We need to build her up where she's not eating. And uh, we went to Lintus Gardens and we saw it and we just thought, oh, my God, what a beautiful place for her to be, you know, like, and it was so lovely, it really, because they've got lovely grands and everything. And my mum used to smoke and uh, she she packed up smoking. Like, we took her to the doctors and they gave her some tablets that stopped her smoking. But she always loved her cigarettes. Like, growing up, she used to smoke players, like non-tip ones and that. And my dad smoked as well and he died of lung cancer. So, yeah, she used to like her cigarettes, but then she stopped. And then I think when she got dementia, she forgot that she'd stopped. So um, we'd take her to the supermarket and she'd run off and sneak in and get herself a packet of cigarettes. Then she'd hide them indoors so we couldn't see them. But we caught her loads of time. But she actually up on the ward one day as well. She started smoking the cigarette. She was smoking away and then the alarms went off and everything. <laughs> But it's so important to say the humour in that as well, because yeah, just because somebody's ill yeah. and someone's dying, it doesn't mean that life completely no, stops, actually. No. We laugh all the time because yeah. she was such a funny woman. She could be quite rude as well, you know, like the ward sister walked in one day and she's quite a big lady and she went, Jesus, will you look at the size of her? And we go, shut up, mum, shut up, you know, like. So it sounds like what's helped you with your grief has been the kind of memories as well. Yeah. So those some of those memories you've talked about, certainly the memories are surrounding her actual death and the yeah. time of her death and afterwards and the family being around, but also the the sort of things that you and the family have done since then yeah. as well, you know, like the bench, yeah. I think, and even funerals afterwards as well, you know. I mean, Yeah, you know, we've, we've got pictures to, of her everywhere indoors and that's so my granddaughters well. now know who Nanny Rita was, Rita Petit was, you know. Like. Yeah, and I wonder how that kind of passes down, you know. I was, I was thinking, I was wondering how your children's experience of grief had been as well when my nan died and then of course when they become parents yeah and... well my daughter lauren so that's my oldest daughter she was like from three years of age when i was working and sometimes i'd be away filming and whatever so she lived with my mum really um so her and my mum were particularly close and she spent a lot of time with her and johnny my mum's partner and that 
So I think out of all the grandchildren, they all took it really, really bad, all of them, because they all adored her. Um, but I think Lauren in particular, because like Lauren would be there, like Christmas time, Lauren would go around, do all her wrapping, write all her Christmas cards out for her and that. So they were really, really close. But they all were, all the grandchildren were. Do they do anything in particular to remember their nan? My grandchildren, nah, they say if they see a star in the sky, they go, that's Nanny Rita up there. They also say, because we had two dogs, so they go, that's George up there, that's Ernie up there. So they associate death with like stars in the sky, which is quite a nice thing to... It's lovely. And they didn't really see us crying that much because we did a lot of laughing because she was a funny woman, even though she knew she, she didn't know she was. Because she had no sense of humour whatsoever. She hated comedies. She didn't like music. She liked all the CSIs, all the murder things. And sometimes I'd get home and my children had been watching CSI. They'd go, Nan, someone got murdered. I'd go, Mum, don't put that on when the kids are there. She goes, oh, they're fine, they're fine. But she'd always like make a fuss of them and they'd have like tea parties. She'd get them all sweets and sit them all around the table and everything. And they loved her. And they were really good for her as well. She was an amazing woman. She really, really was. Marie Curie's Great Daffodil Appeal brings together millions of people across the UK to volunteer, fundraise, donate and wear a daffodil. With your help, Marie Curie can support everyone in the UK and push for a better end of life for all. To get involved, visit mariecurie.org.uk forward slash daffodil. What sort of practical things do you think people can do for each other, Linda, when they're grieving or, or for others? Well, my friend Red Redwoods has just lost her son and it's like everyone goes, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to ring her. I don't know whether to pop around and see her. So I just text her the day um, that he died on the Sunday night and just said, um, there are no words, but I'm here if you need to talk to anyone or if you need anything. And then the next day I went to her house and... I thought I won't go in because I'm not family, although I am close to Brenda. And so I just bought some flowers and I thought I'll just leave them at the door, you know, like. And then her daughter came to the door and said, no, no, come in, mummy wants to see you. And the first thing Brenda said was, don't cry. I went, no, I won't cry, Brenda. And so since then I've just sent her, just now and again, I'll just send her a kiss just to let her know I'm thinking of her. And I actually sent her another card today as well. Uh, it's just to let people know that you're thinking of them and and just to let them know that if there's anything you can do, nothing's going to take that pain away. Nothing at all, nothing, no words, no nothing. She's lost her boy. And just to let her know that we're thinking of her and if there is anything we can do. And if she needs to have a chat, I'm there. I can sit with you for hours and have a chat to you. Um, and just to try not to avoid people because I think a lot of people it's called when they cross the road isn't it or whatever because they don't know what to say and I think probably I was guilty of that with some of my friends parents that have died because you don't know what to say but I just think as I've got older I'd rather say I don't know what to say and no words I can say are ever going to help you but if there is anything I can do if you need anything you want me to do anything for you I'm there for you I think that's a lovely way to be able to kind of, I mean, it's just, as you're saying, it's so important to, to reach out, isn't it? You yeah. know, and say to someone, because actually it can be, a, it can be a really isolating, lonely experience yeah. as well. And so, you know, to send a text message or just to send a kiss via yeah. text or to and write a card. you don't have card. to answer me. You don't have to send me yeah. back a text. Yeah. It's like... You it's just not know a that, yeah, it's not, it's not just how let, are you? It's just sending it's you a I'm kiss. I'm thinking of you and I'm here. Yeah, just to let you know that, that we're thinking of you. 
And I just think that just that importance of connection and reaching out, you know, just remind you yeah. just just even I think yeah, writing a card, yeah. sending a text, letting somebody know you're there. Like, and not getting upset if they don't reply to you because they've got a lot on their plate at that time, you know. And it'll take a long, long time before life feels normal again. But it does because now obviously we were distraught, weren't eating, you know, like it was just like sitting crying all the time and then gradually we turn it into nice memories um, and nice things and happy things that that we did or funny things that she said and she said some funny things she had some funny sayings as well I can't say some of them because they're swear words in it although she never swore she was a good Catholic girl and we were never allowed to swear in front of her and if you swore on a Sunday oh my god you'd be struck dead by lightning she'd say <laughs> <laughs> but she was funny. She was really funny. She absolutely adored my dad. So she's buried with my stepdad, John, Johnny, that we loved. And my dad's next door to her. So she's got the two men in her life, one that side and one on top of her. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to change tack a bit slightly with my questions. Linda, thank you so much for sharing some of Rita's story and telling me about that, that description in the beginning, certainly about kind of grown up and you know what she was like as a woman I got a real sense of her actually when you were talking it's lovely yeah. to hear and so thank you and I want to ask now whether you ever think about your own death it's funny because we spoke about this a little while ago on loose women and I got told off for not having a will because in my head <laughs> my mum was very superstitious there were certain things that we weren't allowed to do like you never put new shoes on a table there was loads of things. Um, if you saw a coffin, you had to hold your collar till a four-legged animal, till you see a horse or a dog or whatever. And so that stuck with me and my, my children and my grandchildren now do that as well. So there's lots of things that have followed through. Um, really, really superstitious. Yeah, so I haven't written a will and I should write a will because I've got a daughter by a previous relationship and then two children with my husband that's there now. So I often worry that she won't get what I think the three of them are all entitled to. But in my head, I think if I write a will, I'm going to die. <laughs> I think it's like tempting fate. So I've often put off. I spoke about it on Lewis Women a little while ago and everyone was going, oh, you should get a will, you should, you should do your will, Linda, you should do your will. And I suppose I will have to do it one day. Um, but I just want... But I don't think you're alone in feeling that, no. you know, because I think some people do link the two completely, don't they? Yeah. Kind of writing a will and dying. But actually what you've just described is the reason why you want to write a will yeah. is for all of those, all the right reasons, yeah. which is to make sure that, you know, you, w w what you have goes where you want it to go. Yeah. And so having control over that and having choice over that yeah. and being able to make that decision so that you're doing that for yourself and then you put it in a drawer and it may take a couple of hours with the solicitor one afternoon, but then you put it in a drawer and it's done. If it's not done when you die, yeah. then what we do know, certainly from our organisation and the people we meet, there can often be complications and conflict in families yeah. when things haven't been just planned for. Oh, I've for. seen it in certain and funerals that yeah, I've been to and yeah. there's not been a will and then people yeah. kick off or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then I t but but then also I kind of get that you know that fear of it as well it sounds a bit like a superstition it does yeah and that's why we're very superstitious yeah. all of us because our mum 
did that to us. Like we could never leave the house without blessing ourselves. She'd shout down as we left the house every morning, bless yourselves. So we've been blessing ourselves as we walk out the door. So you haven't talked about your own funeral wishes or what you would want when you die? For example, if you want to be buried or cremated? Or... I always thought I wanted to be buried, um, but now I've changed my mind um, because my daughter's dad died in August last year. Okay. Um, and so he's, they've obviously, he was cremated, so they've got the ashes. So his partner then had little necklaces, like little necklaces made, and they've got their ashes in the necklaces. And first of all, my daughter said, oh, no, I don't want it because I want all his ashes to be together. I don't want it like to separate him. I want, I want him to stay as he was. But now I think, like, cause sometimes when you go to the cemetery, it's freezing cold, it's raining, and it's like, and it can be quite a depressing place. But I just think if you can, like, bring the urn with the ashes in, like if you go on holiday, you can take him with you or whatever, and it feels like they're still part of it. So now I think I'd like to be cremated so they can keep me with... They might not want to keep me with them, but I'd make sure they do. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to be with them the always. And the necklaces are a really nice thing to do. So my granddaughters have got a necklace with their granddad in. It's just a tiny little star with a tiny little bit of his ashes mm. in and that. So I'd like to think that part of me could be with them always. How would you like to be remembered when you die? I'm very honest. <laughs> Sometimes it gets me into trouble because I am very honest. But I think I'm like that because my mum was like it. But I'm never horrible. I'm never mean to anybody. I've got a good heart and I care about people. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd just like to be known as, as a good woman, really, that has got good morals. I care about things. I care about people. I'm never horrible to anybody. And, and yeah, just just a good woman. <laughs> And good women are scarce, as my mum used to say. (laughs) Just before we finish, Linda, can I ask what it's meant to you today to be on the Marie Curie couch? Well, to be on the Marie Curie couch, I can never, ever thank Marie Curie enough for what they did for us and especially for my mum. Because towards the end of her life, like we were all there. And, you know, people often talk about, you know, amazing births. It was a lovely birth or whatever. But my mum had a lovely death because she was surrounded by her loved ones. She was pain-free and, and, and she went peacefully in her sleep. And that's what they say a lot of the time, is when people are talking, they try and stay awake or stay alive to hear what they're saying. And when me and my two sisters and my cousin went asleep that night, that's when my mum went asleep, pain-free and... Hopefully she's with my dad now. Um, And all the rest of my family, her brothers and sisters, there's not many of them left. So she'll be up there playing bingo. (laughs) If anyone listening is grieving themselves, do you have any words of advice? It's a really hard one. It really, really is. Um, But I just think that the way we got through it was talking about her all the time and and talking about mostly the good times and the funny times and the different sort of habits that she had. I just think we just sat laughing about all the funny things that she did Um, and there was lots of them over the years. There really, really was. And it keeps her there. It does, yeah, yeah. The conversation, talking about somebody who's died keeps them there. Yeah, it does. And it's, it's just like sometimes we just sit and chat and laugh and I just think... It makes me happy to talk about her and it's made me happy to share what a wonderful life she had and how loved she was and how well Marie Curie looked after her because not only did they look after her, they looked after us as well.
Linda Robson, thank you so much for joining me on the Marie Curie Couch today. Thank you for being so open and honest and sharing some of Rita's story. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090 2309 or search Marie Curie online. This podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.